Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host, Dominic, and before we get into today's incredible conversation of the show, I would greatly appreciate it if you guys like, subscribe, share the show with your friends, and even gave us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That way, we can reach new listeners and hopefully inspire them in the process. Today, I have the great privilege of having a conversation with the one and only Shari Hawkins. Shari is an incredibly accomplished heptathlete. Uh, She's made multiple U.S. national championship teams, and before her time as a professional athlete, she won multiple All-American honors for her college, Utah State. Not only has Shari done some incredible things on the track, but also off the track, uh, she has inspired countless people to chase after their wildest dreams through the engaging content that she produces on social media. If I was to recommend one episode of my podcast to someone, it honestly might be this one. Shari shares an unbelievable amount of wisdom in a succinct and engaging way. And I really hope you all take the time to listen to this episode in full as Shari shares so many nuggets of wisdom in each response to my questions that I ask her. In this episode, Shari and I discuss a plethora of subjects, including why failing is crucially important, how to separate your identity from your sport, having fun in the sport, why it's important to share your journey as a whole and not just one piece of it, dealing with expectations from the outside world, and so much more. We also talk about growing up as the youngest kid in the family, which is really fun, and Shari also answers the famous Gordon Ramsay question. You'll have to stick around to hear her answer. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the one and only Shari Hawkins. Shari, welcome to the Running Effect podcast. How are you doing today? Hello, I'm doing good. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm excited for this episode. Bring it all the way back to your start in the sport of running, and then we'll make our way up. How did you get your start in the sport of running? And in addition to that, what were your first impressions of the sport? We're, we are jumping right into it, which I love. Okay, <laughs> um, so bringing it back. Um, to the world of me and track and field. First of all, just me in sports in general. My dad's a basketball coach, and my uh, siblings all did sports in college. My oldest was a softball player. Um, I had two uh, brothers that did basketball, and a, my sister, who's just um, older than me, she's 6'1", and so she did volleyball and basketball in college, too. So, very, very sports-driven family um, my whole life, but I didn't get into running until I was about seventh grade when I was in junior high, and I had friends who asked me to go out for cross-country with them, and I said, absolutely not. You must be joking. You don't <laughs> even know who you're talking to. I'm not going to run if you pay me. Like, if I'm running, you should be running too. Like, we're running away from something. Um, but then all of my friends during lunch and in our free time, they were talking about cross-country practice. And it was kind of just like a bummer. So when track season came around, it was the FOMO that really got me uh, to go out for the track team. And it's funny because slowly but surely, all of my friends started um, going their separate ways from track and field. And here I am all of these years later still doing it. That's awesome. So you talked about having older siblings who did other different sports. I'm the youngest in my family, so I certainly feel a way about this. I'm curious to hear your perspective of growing up as a younger sibling in a household with older siblings who had other passions. How many siblings did you have? I have five, so I'm the youngest of six. Okay, so I'm, yeah, and I'm the youngest of five, so we totally understand. Oh, there we go. Were you like, were, were you like a big spoiled, like, were you the spoiled child? So here's my my siblings would say yes, I would say no, but I think that's how it normally goes. I will say from a parenting perspective, my parents are definitely easier on me than they were my older siblings for sure. But I wouldn't say I'm spoiled per se. I'd just say the the rules have loosened a little bit. Okay, yeah, I mean, I get that. Do you know what's crazy is I used to be like, no, I'm not spoiled. Like mom and dad just like, you know, they're tired, like all that kind of stuff, um, all the things that siblings say, right, all the things that youngest siblings say, until I started watching back, like, home videos of me as a little girl, and me being the baby, like, I think what youngest don't understand is that we're the last time, 
our mom and dad had an actual baby. Whereas like all of our older, older siblings, like they had a baby, but then they had another baby. Right. And that's the thing about like the baby of the family is like the last time they had a baby was you. So it's like, they're not over that. So you are kind of like a little bit more spoiled because you, they still see you as a baby. They don't have another baby to like become the baby where it's like, no, you're the older sibling now. This is the baby. Totally. I will say Um, though, I will say though, I recently, so this past February, um, my, I, my oldest sister, she's 24, I believe she had uh, a little cute daughter. So I'm officially an uncle. My parents are grandparents. So I think we've started to transition out of, if you would call it me being spoiled, um, their attention going towards me and now it's all towards their little grandchild because she's adorable and they only live like 90 minutes away so now they kind of get to re-experience it again oh yeah and that's not going to change i have i'm the youngest of five and i have uh 13 nieces and nephews um so my parents like their priority is 100 percent their grandkids and i'm honestly lucky that i still do track because my parents love sports like i told you i grew up in a sports family so kind of like my track and field is kind of like my baby to them. So anytime I have any kind of track and field thing going on, they are absolutely going to be there. And it's so funny because my oldest sister calls, um, she she accidentally one time called my parents FOMO because my parents <laughs> are the kind of people who no matter what is going on, like if the grandkids have a dentist appointment, they're going. Like it's ridiculous. Like they are just like, oh, like there's a play, like we're, we're there. Like there's a baseball game, we're there. Oh, they're five years old and they're doing a dance recital in the living room, we're there. Like that's so my parents and they'll drive wherever they need to drive to be there. And in the same way, they're just like that with my track and field too. They're just like, so much fun and your parents are going to get that way too it's so awesome yeah that is incredible it's been a fun like three minutes chatting about being the youngest child i didn't know you were <laughs> one and it's uh yeah that's awesome to talk about curious like bouncing off of some of the things you were talking about you were kind of talking about how your parents are super supportive um not only only of you but of your siblings and, and now your nieces and nephews what's it been like to have their kind of undying support throughout this journey of yours I actually really love that question because it's going to go a different direction than I think a lot of people think Um, because my parents are insanely supportive. Like, yes, 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 people, 100%. Um, But they also are parents, so they're really concerned and they want what's best for you. So when I decided to go pro um, out of college, my parents, I actually um, went to Vegas with my parents and we were just chatting, me and my parents in Vegas at a cafe And I was letting them know that I was going to go pro. And they were like, oof, hey, you know, we're so proud of you for your career. You got your degree and, like, you had your college paid for. And we're just, like, so proud of you. But, like, I feel like there's other things to do in life than track. And, like, I just don't see it going anywhere, you know. And so, like, we love you. We just, like, don't think, like – we kind of support that decision um, at the moment. And then I was like, well, I just wanted to let you know that I'm going. I wasn't asking if I could do it. I was kind of telling you that I am doing it. And they were like, okay, well, how are you going to financially support yourself? Like, how are you going to do this? And I was like, honestly, like, I've been able, because I had, I had like a little job, so I was able to, during college, um, and I got my school paid for, so I was able to like save up a little bit of money. I was like, it's not a lot, but it's going to be enough to get me through until I find a job out there. And my parents were just really hesitant. But when push came to shove, they were the ones that moved me to Santa Barbara. They were the ones, they, when they met my coach, they saw my circumstance, they met my roommate, they were like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. We can't wait. And there they were at every single one of my meets. And really the, the reason I love telling that story is because a lot of people say, you know, like, man, I didn't have a support system like that or I didn't have, um, you know, people who believed in me as much. But the, at the end of the day, even if you do have people that believe in you, like, no matter if it's the haters or the supporters who are telling you no, like you really have to dive deep into what you want to accomplish in life and you have to go for it. And if you mess up, that's on you. Like, and it's not on anybody else, but I don't think that any of us want to live a life that we decided to not pursue something because somebody told us not to and then regret it. 
and have this all this resentment. We'll never, I don't think we'll ever regret doing something that we wanted to do, even if it doesn't come out the way that we want it to do. So like, go do what you want to do, no matter what it is. Oh, I love that answer. Um, That's so awesome. What's it like looking back now, way years ago, when you had that conversation with your parents, looking back on that conversation, and then thinking toward present day and realizing all the incredible things you accomplished, that if you would have just thrown in the towel there and not chased after your dream, none of this ever would have come true. You probably wouldn't be on my podcast. (laughs) The amount of opportunities that have opened uh, have been numerous. So what's it like kind of in reflection, I think is the key word, in reflecting on just how far you've come since that conversation with your parents where it seemed like you were the only one who really believed in yourself to chase after this dream full time. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing, <laughs> the other thing about that, because it's so true, to reflect on that, it's so incredible to like be so proud of myself. I was fresh out of college, had no idea what I wanted to do, didn't know what the future liked, and I took that chance anyways. But that wasn't the only time my parents told me to quit. Um, when I wanted to move to, uh, England, my parents were like, absolutely not. Like, what are you doing? Like, come on girl, get real. Um, and honestly, my own coach, uh, when I turned professional, my own coach, you know, I went through a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of like a lot of problems that I had both on and off the track, especially when it came to like my identity and how I fit it within my sport. Um, and so I was going through a lot. And so my coach who had nothing but incredible intentions sat me down and was like, girl, like, this is not for you. Like you need to like go fry some other fish. Cause this is not a dream that's like tailored to you. Like kind of like, it's not for the faint of heart and you are a faint of heart kind of a vibe. And, uh, I've had coaches tell me to quit. I've had my parents tell me to quit multiple times. Um, and I've had, you know, like people being like, uh, like sponsors, leaving you know I've I've had it all and so I guess like on reflection it's more of a um that was just a notch in what the world will bring you and I think that as human beings a lot of times we assume that there'll be this one chance that we have to triumph over you know that we'll tell everybody because I tell the story of how I went to Vegas with my parents and they told me no but like there was also other times that I was told no by so many different people um, and life is full of no. Um, but as long as you still have yes in your heart, like that's all that matters. So I look back on those moments and I, re- it's almost like instead of a reflection, it's almost a reminder, um, that like, I have to, I have to say yes myself. Um, and if I, if it's not a absolutely yes, um, for me, um, it's like nobody else is going to do it for me. So I have to, I have to kind of like, um, be here and I have to be the one that says yes. And at the same time, if everybody else is saying yes and I want to say no, it has to be up to me as well on both aspects. So it's a good, it's instead of a reflection, I guess it's a good reminder because it happens all the time. It happens. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it happened. I'm sure I could think of something like last week where somebody told me no and I was like, oh, well, I'm going to do this anyways, you know, kind of a thing. So uh, yeah, that's probably the best way that I can describe that. We're only 11 minutes into this podcast and it's already jam-packed with wisdom. So I'm absolutely stoked (laughs) to continue this conversation. I'm just like smiling because a lot of the stuff you're saying is resonating with me. And one of my favorite all-time quotes, I think Winston Churchill said it, it's something like success is walking away from failure to failure without any loss of enthusiasm, which certainly seems like the case uh, in in your experience in life. I'm curious, how do you, I feel like a lot of people are discouraged by the idea and feeling of failure and not being accepted and not having other people validate their dreams and emotions. So how have you personally kind of continued to keep going and keep chasing after your dream, whether that be uh, you walk across failure or you walk across someone rejecting you or something like that? Because I think that's something specifically a large portion of my audience is in high school and college that you know, that just the idea and subject of failure is touchy. People hate to fail. So what things have you learned from failure and how have you kind of kept going and chasing after your dreams despite failure along the way? Yeah. And like, I also want everybody to know that like, it, sometimes it seems like I'm this like, oh my gosh, she's just so powerful and um, she, no, nothing can shake her. And I've been shaken so many times. <laughs> like, it's so crazy. Like every single person that you have could ever think of um, has been shaken and has been sad and has been 
thought about giving it all up and all of that kind of stuff like you like like this probably sounds bad and it's like it's you aren't special in the fact that but I hope it's more like you aren't alone is how you feel um you're not alone in the fact that um when you're afraid to fail because you're afraid people aren't going to like you I mean I remember um like a big thing I had to work through was that I was attaching my performance to my personality. So I basically, um, I know, I think I noticed that when I did really well in college, people would be like, Shari, good job. And I'd be like, Oh, thank you. You know what I mean? Um, and when I did kind of maybe poorly or I didn't have a successful day as I would have liked, I think people wanted to give me my space. But it seemed as though people just didn't want anything to do with me, right? Like when, and that's a whole projection of my own insecurities in in that moment. It was, um, but I had to unlearn that a lot. In the fact of sometimes unlearning things doesn't have to be like you don't have to like learn this insane lesson. Sometimes you just have to reflect within your own self, and you have to ask yourself questions like, "Hey, am I a person with a heartbeat?" And the answer is uh, yes. And then you say, um, do I believe that, like, I, as just a person, like, deserve love just because I exist, just like I believe that about everybody around me? And it's like, yes, I do believe that. Okay, would I be mad at somebody for not doing a good job, like, that I like? Um, and the answer would be, like, no, <laughs> I wouldn't be mad. Okay, well, what makes me so different, you know, kind of a thing. And I think, like, the biggest thing when it comes to failure is understanding that failure is part of the process. I mean, there's zero lessons I have learned in my successes. All of the lessons and all of the times I've gotten better and all the times that I've had these aha moments, they've been after horrible, horrible failures. I mean, I didn't make the Olympic team in 2021, and it was horrible. It was embarrassing. I mean, I made the team in, in 2019. I thought that I was going to make it. It didn't happen, and I was just devastated, you know. Um, I was just and especially when you know you put a lot of trust into your training you're like I can do this I can do this I can do this and when you don't do it you know you're like wow I I actually clearly I can't and you get into this space of like horrible thought process and but the thing is is what that taught me not being able to make the Olympics I mean it was the one thing that I realized I hadn't been doing is mentally training my mind proactively when I was training so I physically train my body every day, right? And the way that I've been doing mental training is I have a sports psychologist. I have a problem. I go to my sports psychologist. He tells me how to fix it. Cool. Done. But I was never proactively training my mind at all. Um, and so I came up with a curriculum. I have my master's and bachelor's in education. I came up with a curriculum for myself. Um and now I proactively every day train my mind the way that I train my body. It's it's amazing. And it was the thing that took me from not going to the Olympics to the next year becoming the American champion. And I won my first gold medal as a professional athlete. I hadn't won as a professional before. So it was a huge, huge feat. I mean, I learned how to win. I changed my mindset. And I wouldn't have had that opportunity had I made the team. I really don't believe so. Because I would have just tried to stay in that third place realm because third place goes to world and I would have been like yeah third place is good enough because you're going to the team um I had to learn how to I had to lose so that I could learn how to win kind of a thing so that was a long walk for a short drink of water at the end of the day failure is a good thing so excuse me hurry up and fail so that you can learn the lessons that's going to make you successful I love that. I love all of your responses. Um, There are a few things to dissect there. I guess my first follow-up question is I think, and I guess you touched on this a little bit, but maybe go a little more in-depth. I think a lot of people in today's society and the sports world think that their training needs to be 100% physical, and that's all that matters, and the, the the person that wins is going to be the one who's most physically trained. What would you say to those people and why do you think mindset and working on your mind is so crucial in order to reach your full potential in the sport? I think it's because like if we think about it, um, like let's take me, for example. I'm a professional heptathlete and I would say that I am one of the hardest working people ever, um, especially like like just over my career. I've been doing every single thing I can to get better. 
and I train up to nine hours a day sometimes. I do all of my recovery. I eat a specific way. I'm very, very regimented and um, all of these things. <clears throat> and I train pretty much just like everybody else trains. And uh, then when it comes to winning, why do when all of us are training in a very similar regimen, we're pretty much the same amount of strength. We're pretty much the same amount of X, Y, and Z. And yes, I do understand that there are some people who are just hashtag blessed. But for the most part, all of the athletes that are up at the that 1% of athlete that are um, on the Olympic circuit, circuit, we are all training in a very similar way. And we're all very capable of something great. And so why then is it that 95% of the people, um, or five, sorry, 5% of the people do 95% of the winning. There's a reason. And I believe the reason is mindset. And whether that person, the people are um, training their mindset um, in like a winning way, or whether those people just have a winning mindset, because some people really do just have a winning mindset. I don't think that's very um, common. But I think that there are people who were amazing as a young age and they only ever won all the time, just were better than everybody. So they just have this natural winning mindset. And then there are people who trained to have their winning mindset. And those are the people who are winning at the end of the day. And so I think that that kind of speaks for itself, the fact that so many people are just at the top for some reason. But there are so many people who are training in the exact same way. It's proving to me that it's not physical, that it's mental. You use the term winning mindset. What does that term mean to you, the, the term of having a winning mindset? What does that look like for you personally? I'd love, honestly, to hear what you think a winning mindset is as well. But for me, it's really simple. It's just believing you can win. That's, that's literally believing you can win, believing you will win. That, that's like, it's pretty clear to me. But what do you think? Um, I, I think what you said makes sense, believing you can win, but I would go further to say, and honestly branching off of some of the subjects we've already talked about, believing you can win despite any adversity that pops up and believing you can win despite whoever the competition is. Like whether you're facing the number one person in the world and you're ranked number fifth, still having that confidence that you can win and being so focused inwardly that you know you can win and beat anyone um, that you're not worried about, oh, what is he or she doing? Um, and then you get worried if you can win or not. It's that like um, unbreakable confidence that you can win despite any adversity or competition. Absolutely. I love it. That's a great addition for sure. Another follow-up question to something you were talking about earlier. You did a good job of talking about how you've kind of tried to separate your identity from the sport of running because it seemed like it used to be tied to, you know, um, Shari was running and running was Shari. So, well, I guess you were a heptathlete. I always get confused in these conversations with track and field athletes because a lot of my um, conversations are with strictly distance runners. So hopefully that makes sense. But my uh, point is... No, I still run a lot, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, uh, a lot. My question basically was, I think a lot of people, and again, my audience is predominantly high school and collegiate athletes, they really struggle with in this p pivotal time in their life to separate their identity from their sport. Uh, it doesn't even have to be running. Um, so how have you personally over the years worked towards separating those two things while still caring about your sport? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think like the best way to describe it is probably just telling my story a little bit, like just trying to say the um, quick version of it, because basically that was my issue, right? I was putting my value as a human being on my performance and attaching it a little bit too much. Um, so basically what I decided is I decided to con consciously um, take one of the biggest meets of my life at this point in my career. Um, and I said, no matter what happens, and it wasn't like a national championship, but it was um, my first like international, like big competition where I was going to be like competing against my heroes. Right. I wanted to do a good job. I wanted people to think I was a good heptathlete. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure riding on this because it's kind of your debut big meet. Um, internationally where people can potentially know your name if you do well like you're putting your name on the on the bracket but I decided that instead of putting that on my list of to do's I decided that I was just going to go ahead and 
have fun. That was my only goal. I was like, no matter what, you have to have fun like you're at practice because I love practicing. Practice is so much fun to me because I just get to like do my sport that I love and I really love learning and I love getting better and I just watch myself improve every day and it's so much fun. So I just said, we're having fun in that regard. You're just pretending you're at practice. And if you have a bad practice day, you never get mad at yourself. So we're going to take that into uh, Gotsis, which is the the meet that I was headed to. And I went to the meet and I just did absolutely terrible. Um, And it was so funny because I hadn't high jumped that poorly since I was in high school. And I was a professional athlete now. And so there was like a part of me, I couldn't even believe it. I cleared my opening height and then that was it. And I just, and I went pretty low for my opening height as well. So I was like, wow. Um, And as soon as I knocked off that third bar, I just, I took a breath and I was like, you promised. Like, that's what I said to myself. I was like, you promised. So I just started laughing and shrugging my shoulders. And then I went over to my parents and uh, gave them a hug because, you know, FOMO, my parents just needed to be in (laughs) Austria, got this Austria there. They were. And so I hugged my parents. And I just shrugged my shoulder. I said, well, that was embarrassing. And the whole crowd, because um, the thing about Gotsis is it's a it's like a hep tap on focus place. So there are thousands of people there. So my parents were surrounded by people. And I was like, well, that was embarrassing. Everybody just started laughing. It was like this, ha, oh. you know what I mean? And I went back to the, the tent and I sat ne- down next to my friends. And I was like, well, that'll get you. And uh all of a sudden, like, you know, I felt like it was so interesting because I just, like, let go of my performance. And soon after, KJT, who was that year, she ended up um, winning um, the world championships um, in the heptathlon. She came up, she was, like, my idol at the time. And uh, she came up to me afterwards, and she's like, can I just say something to you? And I was like, yeah. She's like, I love your attitude, and I, like, really admire it. Like, I, I really strive to, like, have that. Um, attitude when I compete as well and I was like shocked I was like completely shocked but it was like this huge thought process of like Shari people don't love you because you do good in high jump people love you because of who you are and you decided that in that moment you're going to have fun and be yourself no matter the cost and like look at what that gave you like that gave you way more than clearing that silly bar would have and um it was just like this big aha moment. Remember when I said I was going to keep this story short? Um, <laughs> no, I love it. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, um, basically, it was like this huge moment of like, I really had a lot more fun at that meet. It was, I didn't have my anxiety that I had. It was so interesting because usually I just am sick the entire day. And I, oh, by the way, I did absolutely terrible for the rest of the day but had fun while I did it. And then day two, I got a personal best day two. So I did like personal best, personal best, personal best in my three events. However, my score was still absolutely terrible because of how bad day one was, but it, that didn't matter. Like it went to show that day two, which is normally like the day that I'm kind of like, ah, you know, day one is usually my day. I did so well because I was having fun. And I wasn't letting my anxiety overtake me. I wasn't letting my performance dictate um, how I was going to feel. And because of that, I ended up doing really, really well. And so it is it is really hard to detach your performance because we want to do well. But the one thing I have to say is, like, there's that zone, right, that you get into when you're at your peak performance. And that's when your mind is empty and your brain is just going to let your body do what it knows how to do. And there is no way you can force yourself to be in the zone. And if you're attaching your worth to yourself, I mean, to your um, performance, you cannot be in the zone. And so I think step one is to consciously try to um, detach yourself. And you're not always going to get it right the first time. And um, just keep trying and being conscious of it. I think that's really like the best thing that people can do. Today's podcast is brought to you by Exact Health. Exact Health is a sports physical therapy app for the most common running injuries. The app simplifies access to professional and customized physical therapy without long waiting times and costs. 
Exact Health offers individualized plans that automatically adapt to your feedback, which is truly incredible. Over 15,000 runners have already healed their running injuries like Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, and so many other injuries with the Exact Health app. The plans on Exact Health are designed by world-class physical therapists with the intent in mind of helping you guys to get back on the ground running. And also, if you aren't uh, injured currently, they also have a state-of-the-art prevention plan for runners that really introduces you into strength and mobility, um, helps you to adopt good movement patterns, and is really a baseline for amazing strength training that will keep you strong and healthy and hopefully avoid these injuries. As of recording this, I've actually been dealing with some shin pain and I downloaded the Exact Health app and that has definitely helped with the pain and helped me understand the pain a little bit more and some of the exercises I can do to strengthen that area so that it will go away eventually. I highly recommend you all give out this app a try. It's truly incredible, a very easy to use platform and has some amazing resources for both you when you're injured, but also, as I just mentioned, to um, adopt good movement patterns and just stay strong in general. So you guys can visit the link in the show notes of any episode for a quick link to download the app or just go to your app store and search Exact Health, spelled E-X-A-K-T Health in your app store and download the app today to try it out and hopefully feel better. So I don't, other than the very first question, I don't think I've asked you a single question that I planned on asking you. This has just been a free flowing conversation the whole time. But one question I did write down that I like to ask every single guest because I think it promotes really good discussion is if you could go back and give one piece of advice to your high school self, what would it be? Um, that's a really good one because I have like so many things I want to tell her. Like, but if it had to be about you know, it wasn't about like, hey, invest in this company really early or something like that. <laughs> um, so if it can't be like fortune teller vibes um, and it's just about like who she is as a person, um, I would probably say um, I would I would probably say like you are not your sport and you are not your results of any sort. You know, um, I would also say to listen um to others <laughs> because um, people have a lot of awesome things to say. I used to be, um, not that I'm not now, I talk all the time, but I used to be kind of like the person who would respond to somebody's story with another story, thinking more that that was going to connect us, like, oh, we have something in common. Um, but what it really did a lot was isolate me from people because people thought I wasn't interested in them. And it just make other people to feel good about that. And I never really loved, um, I would never love to actively make somebody feel like they're not important. And my, I actually did that as a New Year's resolution once as I realized that I was doing that. So as one of my New Year's resolutions, I made myself like every time somebody would tell a story, I would first um, respond in some way. Oh my goodness, that's an amazing story. And maybe ask a follow-up question, um, something like that. And then if it was still pertained after I responded to tell the story, then you can tell the story now. And then that, I realized that that gave me so much more connection. And I think like, I know that that's like such a weird one to do uh, <laughs> because it has nothing to do with track, but I think that um, maybe, you know, that's a, that's a really good one more because I just love, I love people and love connection. And I went so long with um, kind of isolating the people I loved and not even doing it on purpose. But what I would actually say is like to stay aware, stay, stay aware of the good things that you do and embrace them and to, um, stay aware of maybe the things that you do that you don't like about yourself and be willing to change them. Um, that was always something I was really proud of um, me doing, but I, it took me a long time to become aware of the things that I didn't like about myself. And it really has allowed me to shape who I want to become and not just be proud of who I already am. Um, because you should be proud of who you are, but you should always try to be the person that you want to be at the same time. Man, you are just dropping some fire nuggets of wisdom in today's episode. I really appreciate it. One follow-up question I have for you. You've done such an incredible job already in this episode of articulating different 
um, topics of your journey and sharing your journey as a whole and not just picking apart, you know, the sunshine and rainbows, which I think people always admire the people who share the full story rather than just the, the high victories, because most of my listeners probably can't relate to someone doing the incredible things that you've done in your career, or at least yet, but they can relate to the ups and downs of your career. So I really appreciate you sharing your journey. And kind of a question following up from that is, why do you think it's important to share your own personal journey? And within that, share your journey as a whole and not just the sunshine and rainbow moments. Yeah, I mean, I hope everybody listening knows that, like, when I step on the track, like, even at the world stage, like, I'm in Doha, Qatar, and there's lights everywhere, and I see my name pop up on the track that in the dark, and it says Shari Hawkins, you know, all that, like, that's so amazing, but, like, I hope you guys all know, like, I feel the same kind of, like, energy, nerves, all of that kind of stuff that I felt when I was in high school track, and they were announcing my name right before a hurdle race. I mean, truly, it, it, it feels the exact same. Like, I don't want anybody to wait until they just all of a sudden get this, like, incredible, like, feat to um, experience, like, life and understand because nothing is really going to change that much. It's just going to, as you continue to improve in life, things will improve with you, but it's not going to feel like, I think a lot of people expect to just feel differently. Um, as soon as they get X, Y, Z, as soon as I get X, Y, Z, like it's going to change. But what happens is you improve. And so things improve, but you stay you. So my, my whole thing, like the reason I like to tell my story is because I like to say, like, I am literally from Idaho, I was a potato, like I I did potato farming when I was growing up. I like to play sports and I just like kept going on this journey of track and field. And that's why I am where I am. And so I don't want anybody to feel like they aren't like enough because you are like you, you're going to whoever you are, you're going to do some insane, awesome things in life as long as you continue to push forward, like, because, and you might feel the same that you feel right now. So take the moment that you are now to be happy and to be proud and to get things like accomplished that you want to get accomplished and like laugh and enjoy and all that kind of stuff, because nothing's really going to change. It's going to, it's going to change like literally because, you know, like you have USA across your chest instead of Madison high school across your chest. Right. So it changes little, but like, you elevate with the elevation. And so there's never going to be this like different feeling that you're searching for, like find the joy in now and then follow your dreams and follow your goals and like stay aware of who you are and the people around you and what you're capable of. And like, I don't know, that's, that's why it's important for me to share my story is because I wish I would have known all of this earlier. And uh, if I can give people that like little token of wisdom so that they can, um, you know, elevate their lives so much quicker and elevate themselves while they're doing it so much quicker. Like that would make me so happy. What do you think are some of the biggest like challenges and struggles that the performance culture faces today? And I say performance more like athletics culture, because I don't want to limit it to running, because I'm sure a lot of the things you'll say will be applicable to other sports as well. Yeah, and I've I've talked about this before a little bit, um, um, like in other like areas of my life. But I think that expectations of other uh, of them of themselves from the outside world um, is pretty detrimental to the athletic like career because other people assume that athletes, especially professional athletes, are robots and invincible and. Like I said, I feel the exact same way now as I did when I was in high school. And I know that that is just a human experience. Like, we don't really change that much. We really just elevate, and then our circumstances elevate as well. And we don't feel any different. We are just us. And uh, so when people look at other people, like, let's say, professional basketball players, and they say, like, oh, my goodness, your only job is to make a free throw. Like, make the free throw. And, like, that's why you're getting paid, man. Like, and they get like so critical on them. It's like, I think they forget that they're not robots that like make free throws every single time. Like 
the reason actually they are doing what they're doing is because they honed their craft and they're pretty freaking good at it. <laughs> and uh, that doesn't mean that they are now no longer human, you know? And I think that just like bringing back humanity into athletics is going to be really huge because I think that there's a lot of people who feel the need to be inhuman. And that's why a lot of people are doping. And that's why a lot of, because they don't think they're good enough as they are. And I think it's just, there's a lot of expectation and unfortunately, like, it's not fair to the, pe- the athletes that are um, clean athletes. But if you really, like, and I think it's so easy to point fingers at people and say, like, you're a horrible person for doping or you're a horrible person for doing this or saying that or anything. And I think that it is so insane that we do forget that people are human and they succumb to the environments around them. And I do, there is a part of me, you know, that I think about, you know, athletes who, um, are doping and I think about how hard I work and all the sacrifices I make and it makes me so sad to think like man like that's not fair but I also can see from the circumstance of I see that they're expect they they're probably just not thinking like man like this isn't working I'm I gotta do this because I like I thought I was gonna feel a lot different when in reality like we're all just human, and I think if we can get our humanity back into sports, we're going to see a lot more clean sports. We're going to see a lot more fun sports, and we might even see people get even better just because um, that society norm is uh, going to be gone, and so they're not going to have as much pressure, so they're going to have a lot more fun in their sport as well. Kind of branching off this, and maybe your answer will be a little bit similar to what you just spoke about, or maybe not, but what do you think are the biggest misconceptions that most people have about professional sports or what you do in general? Yeah, I would say that it was that, that um, I, I really do think that it's like that the athletes are just humans and they're not, uh, like I said, there are the exceptions of people who are just absolutely incredible, like, and my hat's off to them. I wish I was you <laughs> a little bit. Um but I think the other thing is that it's not that hard to be a professional athlete. Like, if you're willing to dedicate everything you have to it, um, you can do it. And you're you're not going to be too, too far off. There's a lot of people who, you know, talk about how they didn't make the team in high school and now they're professional athlete. Um, people who didn't win anything and now they're Olympic champion. You know, there's so many um, things. And I don't even think those are the exceptions to the rule. I think that those are people who just dedicated their time and their effort and their energy and were willing to do what needed to happen. So for sure, number one, athletes are human. And number two, if you're a human, you can, oh wait, number one, professional athletes are human. (laughs) And number two, if you're a human, you can be a professional athlete. I think it's funny you brought up what you were just talking about a minute ago because right away in my head, there are two uh, people that stand out in my mind. I think Einstein failed math in like fourth grade and people now consider him one of the smartest human beings to ever walk the earth due to his math equations and all of that. And then the other one, Mm -hmm. um, more prominent for me, I'm a huge fan of the series The Last Dance. Michael Jordan didn't make the cut of his like freshman basketball team. Um, And imagine if he would have just thrown in the towel. It's crazy. So I guess maybe bring up a little bit of a hot topic, get your take on it. I think there's this big, I don't know big because I don't hear it that much, but I get into not arguments, conversations with people about this a decent amount of the time, the whole idea of talent versus hard work. So what is your opinion on talent versus hard work? Because you just talked about basically, you know, if you want it bad enough and if you're dedicated enough, you never know what can happen. So what are your opinions on people who say, oh, you just have to be really talented to see results and really talented to do all the things you're doing? Because I feel like a lot of the time it discredits all the work that you've done up until this point. So with all my rambling being done, what are your thoughts on all of that? Oh, my goodness. You're not rambling. I'm rambling. Um, so I think that's a great – yeah, and I think it's like it is cliche went to say, you know, like hard work beats talent every time um, when talent doesn't work hard or whatever like that. Um, I think that there are components of like having incredible genes – And being, you know, like having that natural, like I said, that natural winning mindset is really nice. Um, My biggest thing, honestly, is, um, I don't know, because I always like to say that I I tend to be a little bit compulsive about the way that I work hard. Um, I'll go in sprints where I don't do anything besides 
something that's doing has to do with track, whether it's recovering or whether it's actually at the track practice. And I do think that that could be really, really um, dangerous for my mental health because I tend to burn out and then I get really worried that I'm not working hard enough. And um, I like to keep... I like to keep this balance between doing what needs to be done and um, like holding on loosely. Like let's pretend that you have a sugar blown globe in your hand. And so if you crunch that too um, tight, you will crush it, right? But if you drop it, it's going to shatter. So it's about finding that balance in your, in you where you are holding on to that very tightly so that you don't drop it because it will drop if you let it go even a little bit, but you're not holding on to it so tightly that you shatter it. You need to grip it loosely is like what I like to say. So I do like to check in with myself, you know, at the end of every couple of days and say like, okay, how am I feeling? Am I feeling desperate to get my goal right now? Um, I remember having, seeing this, like this, I don't know if it was a meme or a reel or a TikTok or whatever. And, but the voice was like, when you want something as much as you want to breathe, you'll get it. And I was like thinking about like how much I want air. And if I'm at the bottom of a pool, how I'm like just struggling to get air and I'm like freaking out. And like, I can tell you that I've done that when it comes to my goals and it is not the vibe whatsoever. Um, that is, it's going to cause panic. It's going to, like, that's what it does. It, it, it makes your body tighten up. It makes you panic. It makes you stress. And it makes you feel like what you're already doing isn't good enough. So what I say <laughs> is to find, like, what hard work means to you. Talk to your coach about it um, and what it's going to take and talk to your coach about it. And then stay on that path and then check in on yourself with how, um, how desperate do you feel desperate for this or do you feel like no i just want it so bad i can taste it kind of a vibe because those are com- two completely different things and that's why i want to be careful with the word hard work um because i do think that somebody who works really smart and who genuinely has that fire through their work and their like worth work ethic is going to be even even a very talented human who doesn't have that same tenacity. I do believe that, but I just, I wanted to be like really, really cautious with the word hard work because we do have young listeners and it can be misconstrued as desperation really quickly. And as soon as your hard work becomes desperate, you are just, you're, you're not, you're sprinting downhill now um, and you're not going towards your mountain. Cause I always say, I know how high the mountain is, but I'm willing to make the climb. And as soon as you get desperate, um, all you're doing is sprinting downhill. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's my thought on hard work versus talent. Yeah, kind Don't of, work hard, work smart. Right. Kind of bouncing off of that. I love the idea of work smarter, not harder. And kind of like you're saying, if you have that base appetite for hard work, you just need to channel it in a smart way. And that's how you see results. And I completely sympathize with what you're saying about, you know, being cautious about what we're telling specifically younger listeners. And personally, from my perspective, I'm finishing up my senior year of high school cross country. I've been a part of the sport for many, many years. And many times I've fallen into the trap of hearing people and motivational speakers and in today's world of social media, seeing reels that blow up of people just saying, work hard, work hard, work work hard. And that's how you get to your goals. And while you do need to work hard in order to achieve your goals, if that work isn't channeled into the right place, it's probably not going to go anywhere because at least speaking from my personal experience, you know, I've thought of that as just running a lot more miles. But the thing is, my body can't handle running 70 miles a week and then I get injured and broken down and then I can't race at all. Instead, if I was smart and channeled that in the right way of maybe doing 60 miles a week, but on top of that time, you know, focusing on proper nutrition and recovery and sleep and the little things that most people don't see, working smarter, not harder, then that's going to pay off at the end of the season. And that's something I've been struggling with a lot recently because I think in today's culture, it's really sexy to go out and, you know, run hard for 90 minutes and then post about it and be like, oh, look at all the hard work I'm doing. But at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, is this really what's best for my body now? And is this really what's going to help me reach my long-term goals? Kind of like you were saying, using the the analogy of a mountain, like the person who loves 
who loves to walk slowly is going to go a lot further than the person who comes and goes and has, you know, wants to go really fast and then they end up getting injured because they, they went too fast at it. So there are some of my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever feel like you're overtraining, you have to ask yourself, do I not believe that the training I'm putting in is good enough? And that's why I have to do more of it. So you're basically telling yourself that the 60 miles you ran wasn't good enough. So you need to run 10 more and you got to get back to that space of like, no, like I worked really hard during my appropriate amount of running miles. And because of that, I trust that. And, uh, I'm now going to go get the much needed rest and recovery that I need so that I can put in that same amount of effort. Again, I don't need to run more mileage. Right. Um, I trust the mileage I ran. Yeah. Going even off of that, when you were talking there, um, an idea that popped into my head, and this is totally in relation to the subject we're talking about. Uh, there's this quote I love, and I say it almost every episode, I feel like, because I love it so much, and it is, comparison is the thief of joy. And I think when we tend to overwork and do too much, is due to exactly like you were saying, like we're comparing ourselves to others or like, for instance, the need to want, just using the example I was just using a minute ago, the need to, or the, the want to run 70 miles probably isn't from me thinking it's going to make me a better runner. It's from seeing what other people are doing and seeing other people's success and being like, well, I need to replicate exactly what they're doing because it worked for them instead of being like, okay, what's actually best for myself today? So can you speak on the idea of comparison being the thief of joy and why it's important to stay singularly focused and not really attach your worth to what others um, are doing. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is that you can't know what everybody's doing totally. And so a lot of times uh, we have imaginary comparison. And that's what truly is like going to steal all of your joy because you don't even know that that person's doing all of this extra work. Even if they say they're doing it, you don't know if they're actually doing it. You don't know how consistent they're being. You Like, that you have no idea. And so what I think a lot of people do is they assume other people are working harder than them. And what you're doing is you're putting yourself into a losing mindset. So instead of saying, I'm going to win because I work harder than everybody else, you're assuming other people are working harder than you. So you must need to work harder um, because other people are. But you're just assuming. So now when you show up to competitions, you're going to assume that everybody is doing more than you're doing. And you're going to find yourself subconsciously staying behind them in the race and you're going to watch as you start to get tired because they put in, quote unquote, more work than you. And that's not necessarily the case. That's just a story you told yourself. So it is really, 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 really dangerous to start comparing yourself to others because you genuinely can't know their full story. Now, if we can make it like an exact comparison, that's just data. We can actually say like, okay, they're doing this, this, and this, and this is their result. How can I adapt myself to that? But we don't know that. There's no way to know that. So it's a waste of your time to compare yourself to other people because there's a good chance you're probably doing more than them um, or as much as them. You're just telling yourself you're not, and that's how you're putting yourself into that losing mindset. And honestly, that's why I created, I mean, I don't know if I told you this, but I created a mental training program for myself. I offer it now. Um, it, you can go to shariahawkins.com and you can get it. Um, it's literally the, do, the same mental training program I do myself. Um, but it was like a huge thing to be able to say, like, I actually um, deserve to win. I deserve because and I'm not going to let other people like this imaginary comparison that I'm saying to other people um, dictate that. And I take you through a lot of steps um, to kind of get into that mindset. And I talk about a lot of stuff I talked about today. Um, and then we also, I, I, there's a little podcast, I give you a little challenge, we do a little workout together. Um, and it's, it's really fun, but it's super important if you're somebody who's trying to get out of that losing mindset and get into the winning one. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'll leave a link to that in the show notes of this episode. So if you're curious in checking that out, you can just scroll down to the description of Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on and go check that out because that sounds awesome. Um, a few other subjects I want to touch on of things that you were talking about that I want to dive a little bit deeper into. How do you avoid burnout, not only within sport, but also maybe we'll get a little bit into this. You're super active and I would say popular on social media. I was looking at it 
apparently Wyoming is the smallest state by population in America. They have like 578,000 people in it and you have 522, mm-hmm. 100,000 followers. So it's weird to think that your followers are almost the size of a whole U.S. state, which is just mind blowing. So anyways, <laughs> just weird fact aside. So uh, how do you avoid burnout, not only within sport, but also on social media when I think a lot of people fall into the trap of um, wanting to please others and post super consistently. And at least I know from like, you know, doing this podcast for a while now that, um, you know, when you're super passionate about something, you tend to, and I felt this also in sport, when you're super passionate about something, you tend to put a lot of time and effort into it. And a lot of times go overboard, kind of like we were just talking about. And a lot of times that can lead to burnout. So what are your opinions on burnout? And how have you tried to avoid it after learning from previous experiences with it? Um, I think burnout is like a really, really, really easy thing to fall into because especially if you're somebody who wants to work really, really hard, and that's why I said I want to be really careful with that um, because burnout is super real. I will say that the biggest thing for me is, number one, doing what I feel like doing, and number two, having people who make me do things I don't want to feel like doing. So um, I have my coaches who and my physical therapists who I make sure that um, they know I don't want to be doing something. Um, and I'm very, very communicative and I'm really honest. So I say, I don't want to do this today, but I can. And when that happens, they know they need to push me. And when I know I can't do something today, like my body is really exhausted, my mind is really exhausted, and it's just like I, I can't, they're very, very good about adjusting. Um, but there, so I have people who make me want to do it. And then I also, um, I hired a videographer and photographer for my social media, um, so that I could, this was more just to keep me very, very, um, honest with myself in the fact of it's hard to post on social media every day. And so I meet with uh, my videographer once a week and, um, I have to show up. I'm, I'm not going to just leave him hanging. So, and then he gives me um, the stuff. I put it together, edit it up. And um, I really love doing that kind of stuff too. So it's just kind of like a good creative outlet for me. Um, and then makes it like a little easy. And you know me, like you've, you've literally been with me this whole time. I love, love, love to talk and give my opinions on things. And so it's super easy to put something together and then say what's on my mind in a caption. And I've been really lucky that people love to re- like love responding to it. And they really, um, it resonates with them. And um, my whole thing is like, I just want to be, myself and like as authentic as I can in the way that I feel it can help people not authentic just to be authentic but authentic so that other people can genuinely relate and it can make them happier and it can give them a better chance of finding success in their own life that's always been my purpose Okay, I feel like we could talk for literally like five or 10 hours on a bunch of different subjects. So I'll have to get you back on the podcast in the future. But to top this thing off, I have two quick questions. The first one's serious. The second one is more of a fun one. I ask every guest. The more serious one is after you retire and people hear the name Shari Hotkins, what do you want them to remember you for? I think I want people to remember me for helping them through a tough time. Um, I would love for them to hear something that I've said and for them to use that tool um, to get them out of some a thing that they otherwise might have not gotten out of. Like there are sometimes people get in those funks, you know, and they stay in the funks for a long time. They're like, man, I can't get out of this. And I would have loved to hear somebody say my name and be like, dang, I, you know, I was in a funk for like a month and then I heard her say something and I was like, wow, like that helped me so much. I applied it. It got me out of my funk. And now every time I get out of a funk, in a, in a funk, I use that tool and it helps me so much. Like that, those are the kinds of things I really want to hear. And my more fun question that I ask every single uh, guest on this podcast is if you had Gordon Ramsay coming over for dinner, what would you make for him? Um, I would probably make uh, filet mignon. So my uh, undergrad is in uh, culinary arts education. And I would probably just make like just like a filet steak because I have like really incredible like carrot fed beef um, steaks. Um, and so I'd probably make like a really delicious steak. I'm from Idaho. So of course I would do Idaho mashed potatoes. Um, and then I would probably do like some sort of like broccolini, um, with like homemade bread rolls or something like that. And then if he hated it, I'd be like, this is delicious. What are you talking about? So. <laughs> 
Wonderful. Shari, this conversation has been a really incredible one. It's been one of my favorite podcasts I've ever recorded. We're almost at 100 episodes. So thank you so much for coming on the show today and just sharing so much amazing wisdom and insights that go along with your story and your journey. I really appreciate you sharing all of it. And I can't wait to get you back on the show. And more importantly, see all the incredible things you do in the future. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Running Effect. If you enjoyed it, I would greatly appreciate it if you gave us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcast, shared the show with your friends, even shared it on social media. And you can also support the sponsors who support us, Exact Health and Liquid IV. You can use code The Running Effect uh, on Liquid IV's website to get 25% off all their products. And you can go into the show notes to check out Exact Health, the incredible physical therapy app that can hopefully help you guys stay healthy and stay injury free. I hope to catch you all in next week's episode, but until then, happy running. Happy running.